Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, and welcome to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm Marie Stella, your host from Melbourne, Australia. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the show. Daily habits are so small and effortless, yet can leave such a lasting impact on a relationship. But how and why? Well, that's exactly what we aim to understand today. And to guide us through that is Kristen Qualls, a marriage and family counsellor with a passion for helping couples. Hi, Kristen. Lovely having you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Um, fine, thank you. That's amazing to hear. Uh, I know that you're really passionate about helping couples and relationships. So I'm really curious, what would you say your ethos is when it comes to counseling couples? Yeah. So whenever I meet new people, I think about what's important to them. So I'll ask people, you know, what's what's going on? And they start to talk and I start to listen. And I think it's important to listen for everything they're saying that matters to them, like their values and their fears and their struggles. And really all of it is rooted in their values, their wants, their needs. And so people will come upset or they will come struggling, but they all come wanting, wanting for something better, something that makes their relationship more connected. And so it's my job to look for what that is and sort of listen between the lines, so to speak, of their complaints and their frustrations and their hurts and help them sort of decode that and then figure out ways to make their relationship better. So I like um, I like working from a position that people know themselves best and it's my job to help them figure out how to communicate what it is that they need. Most of the time it's in the communication. That sounds great. And that's a great introduction, actually, to our topic for today. But before we get further into detail, we'd like to get to know you better. So this is Have You Met, Kristen Qualls. Um, what do you like to do in your spare time? I have a shelf full of books on relationships. <laughs> so when I'm not doing that, I love traveling and spending time with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably my favorite thing in the world to do. I love the yeah. ocean. I love the water. So anytime I can get close to that in it or on it, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> I agree. Uh, there's something about large bodies of water, which I know sounds, that was phrased oddly, uh, but there's something about large bodies of water that's just so calming. And, you know, you're seeing the sun glisten against all the waves and, seeing all the natural movements of the water is very relaxing. So I agree with you there. And that sounds really, really fun. Um, Do you read any books aside from relationship ones? Occasionally. (laughs) I sometimes do. Um, I'm a big mystery person. I like mystery novels. Mm -hmm. So I'll pick up an Agatha Christie here and there. Mm -hmm. Um, I did read, um, one of my favorite ones recently was Neil deGrasse Tyson's um, Starry Messenger, Perspectives on the Cosmos. Can I say that again? 
Oh, yes, please. I botched the title. (laughs) I'm sorry. Do I start at the very beginning of my answer? I think that would be ideal. Yes. Okay. Sometimes. Yeah. So the recent one that I've been exploring is Neil deGrasse Tyson's Starry Messenger, Cosmic Perspectives on the Universe. And I think my favorite part in that book is when he talks about how the world changes every 30 years exponentially. It really helps us, especially in couples counseling. Um, It's crazy how everything kind of relates back. At least it does from my perspective, but I'm probably looking for it. Um, It always relates back to why so much change happens and why people have struggles changing and how, you know, the habits that we develop as humans nowadays are so different than those of the generations that came before us. And it, it causes challenges and it's constantly changing. That does strike a chord with me. I feel like I get very overwhelmed with change happening especially if it's too frequent it's like when is it going to stop does it have to happen like all the time and is it actually happening more frequently in my mind than it is in real life does it is it only just me thinking that it's so frequent because I notice it so much um yeah (laughs) what about films films I'm not a big TV person, but when I do turn it on, it is once again, I like the the mysteries, you know, mm-hmm. um, my husband and I will will chill out at the end of the day, you know, busy working parents and turn on something fun. Um, but I'm I'm more of a, a people person or a quiet time person or a reader. Mm-hmm. So I don't follow a whole lot of TV. That's totally fair. Um, <laughs> is there a podcast that you listen to? So, you know, it's interesting. I don't usually listen to a lot of counseling podcasts, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts um, related to health, eating healthy and longevity. That's kind of like my my other thing that I really enjoy learning about. Yeah, that's great. Um, I did hear somewhere that whatever that you listen to, um, that kind of sets the tone for your mindsets really um so that is a good direction in going whereas like I guess educational podcasts are good but I tend to go for like death and and like murder things and that really kind it like it's really interesting right because I guess it's like mystery as well and I like seeing or like hearing all these mysteries get solved. But at the same time, it's like, it's really grim, (laughs) you know? Um, So yeah, maybe I should, maybe I should take a page out of your book and start listening. Switch over to to longevity. Switch over (laughs) to longevity. Start thinking about longevity instead of death. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) How you want to make it to the finish now, not when. (laughs) Um, So is there a person in in your life I'm going to repeat that. So is there a person in your life that you look up to the most? Yes, actually. Uh, He's the guy who trained me, in fact. His name is Dr. Ross Flynn. He's a good friend of mine now, but I met him in grad school and I just knew this is a guy I want to know more of what he has to know. And so um, I actually hired him at the time to become my supervisor. So as counselors in training, we have to do thousands of hours of supervision. And so uh, we spent a lot of time together and we still visit regularly as friends. And it was great. Like he's been a a huge influence in my life and quite frankly, helped me figure out how to change the way I think and do things. And 
has helped me be very successful in understanding humans and helping them. Yeah, I, I totally get you there. An amazing mentor can make all the difference in not just your career, but also your perspective that you take in life. Um, and that's great that you found that person and you have that person to look up to. <laughs> now we're moving on to the interview questions. Um, <laughs> the first question that we like to ask all our guests um, is what is a relationship? How would you describe a relationship? So a relationship is basically an agreement between two people about how they want to do life together. And, you know, as a result of connecting and communicating, figuring out what their compatibilities and their strengths together are, they form a bond, you know, a friendship. So at the base of all relationships that function really well is the friendship, you know, and then from there it moves into a commitment, like what are we and who are we and what are we doing here? And then, of course, the passion, like with all three, most humans tend to be really happy. Without one of those three, we end up with some complaints. And in your opinion, does a relationship still hold the same meaning, structure and importance as decades ago? Not that I know of. So from all the anthropological studies that I've ever looked at and some of the research that I really enjoy from Esther Perel, um, she's one of the best researchers out there on passion and desire. Uh, she kind of helps us understand that society has changed its expectations for relationships over time. It used to be about survival and status, you know, economic and political alliances. Uh, religion influenced it a lot. It still does, but I think it's different in the way that it influences, at least depending on where you're at on, in America. Um, there's a lot of different ideas about religion and how it should or shouldn't influence relationships. Um, but it really wasn't about love for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. That's that's a newer concept and, you know, definitely an expectation nowadays. Like we want our partners to be our best friends, our confidants, uh, our support system emotionally, financially. We want to have good physical intimacy with them. Um and then, you know, with the advances in technology, I think that, you know, that brings a whole nother level of, you know, what is our relationship like versus all the other relationships that we could or want to engage in. So it's definitely changed. And I think it continues to change quickly, especially with all the technology. That's a great answer. And I think um, it's also pretty subjective because it does kind of depend on geographical location as well uh -huh. some places aren't really there yet um so it really does depend but by and large we do see this change uh especially with technology technology like you said you know i was thinking about that as i was answering it i'm speaking from a, a female american's perspective so i can't i can't speak for everyone and it's always interesting to me i love to travel um it's always interesting to me what i can observe about how different people do life differently and what their expectations are and their um, their customs and how they treat each other, their expectations of each other. So I think that's my definition based on where I'm at in the world. <laughs> so how would you define couple routines? So couple routines are all the things that we do pretty much throughout our entire day from, you know, waking up in the morning to going to bed at night and everything in between. Um, the routines are the things that we do over and over again throughout the day that help us figure out how to live. It determines our structure and it can lead to us feeling really connected and satisfied in our relationships. Like we've got a well-oiled machine. We love each other. 
uh, we're running smoothly and feeling good, or it can lead to a lot of conflict. And so uh, it's really important that people understand where their compatibilities and where their challenges are when they're figuring out these routines and have really good communication about them. So examples of couples routines would be things like when we wake up in the morning, how are we getting ready for work? You know, who's doing what? Do we have kids? Who's getting them on the bus? Who's packing their lunches? Do we do that the night before? Are we doing that in the morning? Like that would just be one small snapshot of a, of a routine. Um, and that's the daily habits kind. And then there's also the kind that relate directly to physical intimacy. Like how do people like to relax before they connect or how do they like to connect during, you know, intimacy? Mm-hmm. And what is a ritual of intimacy and how is it different to couple routines? So I'm thinking that I tend to separate them in my mind between the non-intimate and the intimate. In other words, the non-sexual versus the sexual. Mm-hmm. So the daily ones I'm thinking are everything that we do to keep everything running and everything that we do to keep the fondness and the admiration between us running smoothly. So most people report when you know they're struggling with sexual intimacy or physical intimacy that they need to feel loved and respected and connected in all the other parts of their daily life. Most people don't just flip a switch and jump to the sexual parts. And so if the other stuff's not going well, or they're not feeling respected or loved or supported, or they feel overwhelmed or overburdened, then they either don't have the energy left over for the other pieces, the fun pieces, what, well, what people hope should be fun, or they're feeling turned off, like, I don't feel like connecting with you that way. Okay, I've got to think about my my follow-up question. I'm throwing a lot at you, sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, okay. So what is the importance of having a ritual of intimacy? So... It helps people connect, like it helps them feel like there's a sense of constancy and predictability in the relationship. It facilitates and it fuels connection. Uh, Without, you know, these people don't feel an emotional safety a lot of times. Like they need that in order to feel like we're getting what we want out of this relationship and we're feeling calm. Like when things are running well in our rituals, It means that we're feeling compatible and on the same page. It means that we know each other and are listening. Mm -hmm. And when that's all happening, we like each other more, Mm -hmm. quite frankly. Like the fondness and the admiration between us is high, which is what we're wanting to aim for. You did mention before that in your view, rituals of intimacy tend to be more like physical and sexual, whereas couple routines might be other things like emotional. Was that what you were getting at? So I think that, I mean, I think it just depends on how you conceptualize it. So I can talk about it from both different angles because I see how they connect. Mm -hmm. But I think it makes sense that however it resonates with people is kind of how they make sense of it. So couples routines, I think if you were to kind of make that your heading and then maybe bullet point underneath that, it would be all of the tasks of daily living, Mm -hmm. how we do our quality time, 
how do we do um, all of the responsibilities, like who does what, you know, and then you could obviously bullet point um, our sexual intimacy as well. Like, how do we engage with each other? Who is initiating, um, you know, who's where and who's doing what and what are the expectations during intimacy? So it just depends on what part of the routines we're talking about, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, what are some challenges that couples might face when trying to establish the intimacy rituals in their daily routine? Communication for sure. So I would say the biggest thing is being authentic and willing to communicate that. But in order to be authentic, we have to know what we want and we have to be comfortable expressing it. So many people don't know what they want or aren't comfortable expressing it or they feel like they did a good job of expressing it, but the other person missed it. So in the counseling world, we call those bids. Like it could be anything from, you know, sighing, you know, as we're carrying something heavy, which kind of signals to our partner that maybe we need help and maybe we sighed just because it was heavy. We weren't, you know, subconsciously trying to say, hey, could you come help me? It wasn't that. It's just what we're busy doing. And if our partner picks up on that, then they're they're being in, in tune with what's going on with us. Uh, it could be very obvious, like, hey, the dishes are piling up. I could really use some help. I've got a lot of other chores on my list and I'm a little overwhelmed. Could you help me out? It could be, I miss you. You know, I haven't spent time with you. And, you know, that could be anything ranging from, you know, touching someone or giving them a hug or transitioning that hug to something a little bit more, a little bit more touch or a kiss to flat out like, hey, it's time. You know, it's been a while. So <laughs> it just depends, you know, on the couple and their style, their comfortability, yeah. but communication for sure. Owning what you want and being able to say it. That is really good advice. And I feel like that is an issue that I do see with a lot of my friends who are couples as well. Um, and even with myself, if I'm being completely honest, uh, I don't like asking for help even when I need it. And I not that I expect my partner, for example, to help me out um, without being asked, but I like it just it just makes me so uncomfortable like it physically pains me to have to ask for help and I think that's a big issue when it comes to having to communicate because how is my partner meant to know um, that I need help and maybe yes you know they can just look at context and social cues and blah 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 but it takes two claps two claps it takes two hands to clap and so um I have to just kind of well for lack of better phrasing suck it up and just do it uh, but do you have any advice for people like me who feel uncomfortable expressing their needs or wants yeah, so there's a couple of things in there. Um, I'll try to track it all. But there, the first thing I was thinking about was vulnerability. It is very vulnerable to be in a relationship. And the closer we are and the more we're talking about the tough stuff, which tends to be intimacy, the harder it is for us to share ourselves and what we want with another person. 
And sometimes challenges to vulnerability come from our histories. I find that happens a lot with couples. Like, did we grow up with messages that invited us to feel like a burden if we needed something? Or did we grow up with the opposite messages? Like our parents or our caregivers were ready to respond and let us know in any way that they could that they were happy to respond and everything in between. So, and I think it also, you know, comes into our own personal sensitivities as well. Some people are naturally a little more shy. Others are a little naturally more assertive. And so vulnerability is huge. So let's say, going back to the first question, communication owning what you want and the willingness to be vulnerable and the ability to be vulnerable, which gets challenging for some people. Um, so what do we do about that? So the next part is what you said, you know, you said it takes two hands to clap. And so one of the things that I help coach people on is if they want something, leaning into the opposition is really important. If we're left to our own devices as humans, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll stay in the familiar. You know, and, and this kind of ties back to something we we're talking about a few minutes ago, but about change. Change registers in the brain as an error, a mistake to be corrected as quickly as possible, even good changes. So if we're trying to do something that doesn't come naturally to us or that is different, we are swimming into the current neurologically, physiologically, emotionally. It's challenging. So. I walk through um, some exercises with people that invite them to define for themselves what they want and then what the pros and cons of making the change or leaving things the same. And then asking themselves, like, during this change, like, what kind of person do you want to be? What will make you proud of yourself on the other side of this once you kind of get across that bridge to where you want to be? And what kind of challenges do you think you'll encounter along the way? And when you do, what do you want to do about them? So if we want something, we're the only ones on the planet who can make it happen. And in romance, I think, in at least where I'm from, over here in America, I think there are some misnomers about romance, and maybe they're global, I, I just wouldn't know, um, that other should just kind of know what we want, and that makes us special, and that makes us super connected, and that makes our relationship a little extra special, but really it's not really how it works. We can, we sometimes get lucky. Like sometimes if we have two uh, highly sensitive and attuned people who just kind of jive really well, that can happen a little bit, but it's not without its flaws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of that also does probably come from pop culture, like films, romance, uh, comedy, comedy. Rom-coms? Rom-coms, Rom yeah. Rom-coms. <laughs> Those are the worst. <laughs> they're the greatest, but they're the worst. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I despise yeah. watching rom-coms. Like, <laughs> right. it makes me, it, it, it gives yeah. me all the wrong ideas of what a romance should be. And I will watch it and go like, I can't mind be like that. But because it's so out of the realm of reality, that it's just like I find watching fantasy more more real than watching a rom-com it's so true I, I tell you becoming a licensed marriage and family therapist and doing this as long as I have been doing it I can't watch them it's totally mm -hmm. ruined it for me I just look at it and go that doesn't work that doesn't work that doesn't work just tell them what you want yeah <laughs> that doesn't really create the suspense they're going for and the happy ending <laughs> mm -hmm. and there's this fantastic 
trilogy of rom-coms. Well, it's not really a rom-com. It's it's a romance film trilogy. Um, it's the first ones before sunrise and then the middle ones before sunset and the, the, the last ones before midnight. And it's one of the best tr- film trilogies I've ever watched. But at the same time, I can't look at it and go like, that's real life. I like... I can't, but then I'll gladly watch Harry Potter or something and, and be completely immersed in it and be like, yeah, that's completely possible. <laughs> you know, I think it's I think it has something to do with the difference between what we're seeing and what the possibilities in reality can actually be. You know, like if it's too close to what's real to us, like capable, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like having a relationship, for example, versus waving a magic wand or doing some magic. Um, we realize psychologically that it's too close to what we can actually accomplish, you know, with physics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it kind of ruins it a little bit. Mm. But if we're engaged in something that we know is not really realistic, then it becomes fun because mm-hmm. there's nothing competing with it. Yeah, I guess. And when they, well, with the fantasy um, genre, it's kind of like you already know that this isn't real life. So you end up seeing all the parallels, drawing parallels between our real life and that fictional world. And then in that way, that's like, wow, there's so many similarities. But then you watch um, a romance film that's set in the real world and all you can see are the jarring, like the glaring differences. Um, well, I think that invites people to grieve. Whereas it doesn't if you're just immersed into fantasy. Like we're not grieving the difference there. That is true. I feel like I feel we've gone on a tangent. So going back to the interview. Um, so what is it exactly about these rituals of intimacy that render them so effective in maintaining this romance and passion in a relationship? So people, I think people love to feel connected. Mm-hmm. I think that's, well, I think that's why they like the rom-coms because it represents the ideal of what people could imagine connection could look like. Like this, this pair skater on the ice that is moving in unison and just doing things so well. And so when we're able to create unison, let's say uh, synchronization in our daily lives, we feel good. You know, we enjoy sharing in a world with someone who gets us and someone who wants to be by our side and is engaged in us and makes us feel special and loved. And so when we are doing our daily habits well, it sets us up for those experiences. And that leads to, for the most part, um, as long as all the preferences line up, that leads to good connection intimately, physically intimately. Um, they they kind of feed each other. You know, one of the things Esther Perel says, and I love this, so I have to quote it, is um, foreplay is everything that happens between sexual encounters, even in the silly little things that we do throughout the day. And it's so true if you've ever been in a relationship and you're frustrated with someone about you know, not picking up their shoes, not picking up their clothes, not doing the dishes. The last thing you want to do is go have some fun later. Like you're bummed. (laughs) So, but when things are going really well, it leaves us with the energy and the willingness and the wanting to engage more (laughs) and and more of that passion that stems beyond just the friendship and the commitment. Yeah. And also like, well, when a relationship starts, you aren't really intentionally 
doing these couple routines or rituals of intimacy and some people might not even be doing them intentionally they might just go go along not doing it intentionally but if someone wants to initiate the idea of intentionally incorporating them into their couple routines Mm -hmm. how should they do it I think people need to ask. They need to ask for what they want. So a lot of times people make the requests that they have of other people way too complicated. I think the simplest answer is is usually the best answer. Like, hey, I want fill in the blank. Can we talk about that? You know, I really get a lot out of fill in the blank. Can we we work on ways to make that happen? So um, I, I have a lot of people I work with who come to me frustrated because this isn't going well. So I collect a lot of data from that uh, in terms of uh, how to help people do this. And so, for example, like sometimes when people get home from work, you know, they just want to be greeted. Like, I just want you to say hi to me. Like, give me a hug. I haven't seen you all day. It's hard to get a hold of you when you're at work. Um, I've been with other people all day. I just want to hug and I want to know that you're, you're willing to say hi to me. Other people need time to themselves. Like I've been with people all day. I need a break. I cannot give any more of myself right now. I know you have needs too, uh, but I'm, I'm really worn out and I need to recharge my batteries for a few minutes. And so it's usually a negotiation. Like from the minute we meet each other through all of our relationship, it's always about communicating, asking for what we want, knowing what we need, and being able to kind of put that into words and just talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then... One of the principles that that works really well is that we remain committed to and invested in hearing what our partner wants, responding to them so they know that we're listening, and then engaging with them in a way that teaches them, I want you to have what you need. Or we want to say yes to each other as much as possible without caving. So if we say yes because we're people-pleasing, then what will happen is we'll get worn out. And that leads to depression um, or anxiety and withdrawal and eventually the relationship. Totally. Oh, yeah. It is a recipe for disaster. So we want to say yes because we want to say yes, not because we feel pressure or feel like we have to say yes. So that's a difficult one to manage. Like we have to know our motivations. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Where is it coming from? What are my intentions? Which I do a lot of work with people on (laughs) so that they can know clearly what they're doing and what they're not. Man, relationships are such hard work. They There's are. There's so many questions to ask. And it, like, more often than not, it has to be intentional. Like, dating can be kind of unintentional, right? But the moment you go in a committed relationship, there's so many questions you have to ask yourself. So many, so so much self-growth that you need to push yourself to do for the relationship to work. And so many questions to ask the relationship and your partner. It's a lot of work. It is. I tell people all the time when they come to counseling, it's like one of the first things we talk about is relationships are way more work than we realize. Mm -hmm. And we don't really know what we're doing. We don't go to school for this. We figure it out together. And it's usually after we've made some mistakes or are in the process of making some mistakes. So on to a lighter question. What practices would you recommend to couples who'd like to incorporate daily habits into their routine? What are some examples you can give of daily habits? 
Yeah. So, um, it'd probably be easier if I, if I spoke personally, just because it's just easy to use those. Yeah, Yeah, please. So one of my favorite things is when I wake up in the morning, you know, I'm usually off to clients and busy, you know, I help get, you know, our son ready and my husband does his role in that. Uh, he makes the bed every morning. It's amazing. And then he makes me a cup of tea. So it's waiting for me by the time I get done with my morning meetings. I know, right? I always write the story in my head every time I see it. Like, it's like a morning hug. And so um, it's it's little things like that that I think that people do that show that I love you mm-hmm. and I care about you and I'm thinking about you. And so, and I get his vitamins ready for him because I'm getting everyone else's ready for him in the morning. <laughs> that is adorable. <laughs> Thank you. He's my best friend. So you mm-hmm. asked me about my mentor. My husband is my best friend. Oh. He is he is cool. I love him to death. Oh. Um, and so then throughout the rest of the day, you know, it's about roles and responsibilities. So um, who's doing what? You know, who's responsible for the, well, in my world, so like the way my day is kind of carved up, we both work from home um, and kind of help take care of our son on and off throughout the day, depending on what day it is and who's doing what. But we all kind of have our expectations in mind. Like, I'll make sure to clean up from the morning before my husband kind of takes over in the afternoon. And then at the end of the day, he cleans up in the kitchen and I'm getting our son ready for bed. And then we try to do a little bit of family time together. Um, And then after that, we finally get our personal time for a little bit before we both crash. And so um, that's just a some like a little snippet of the daily routines that happen in my personal world. But everybody has them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really important, I think, that couples acknowledge what each other's doing. So like that cup of tea in the morning for me, I could easily overlook that and not give it any credit. But I don't choose to do that because... Mm -hmm. I'm very aware of how important it is to notice what each other's doing and give that give that weight in the fondness and the admiration. That's what keeps desire going. So couples routines are things that we just do throughout the day and it can really be anything that's working for a couple, but it's what we allow, um, it's how we let those couples routines create meaning for us that mm-hmm. I think is really important and keeps the the passion and the love going over time. That's adorable. I loved hearing about your story with your husband. Um, Mine, while it's not as intricate as your day is, um, my partner does these like small things whenever, like every morning he will, um, because I have the body of like an 80 year old (laughs) and like it's failing sometimes um, frequently yeah, it's it's kind of alarming, but it's fine. Um, so sometimes I'll like get pains here and there. Uh, I like it's not that painful. Um, yeah, it like it's it's kind of easy to live with compared to what other people have. But it's like just now and then. Anyway, the 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 point of the story was um, he would ask every morning, do this little like doctor like um, check in. Like how's your heads? How um, any pain in the arms? And then um, any sinus issues? Any this? Any that? And he'll check like all of my um, usual uh, problem areas. And I think it's just the smallest little thing, you know, um, that really makes you a like. Yeah, it's just the smallest little thing that um, can make all the difference. And then I. 
while he doesn't have that many issues with his body, which thank goodness. So um, instead of doing the doctor check-in, because that's not um, applicable to him whatsoever, um, I will make him his breakfast, which isn't very intricate at all. It's just wheat picks. Wheat picks is this Australian um, wheat cereal block thing, which doesn't sound very... It doesn't sound very appealing and it doesn't look very appealing, but uh, it is a staple apparently and it's just doused in milk and it's just simple as that. And he like just is so grateful for it every day. And I'm like, this is, it's just pouring milk on a couple of blocks of cereal and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it really does make all the difference uh, and it kind of, is this act that shows your partner that you are thinking of them and that you appreciate them and yeah um, yeah I think that that appreciation is what I cued into too it's it's everything that says I value you yeah um so what are some resources like books or articles or workshops that you think couples can use to learn more about the science behind these rituals of intimacy or daily habits and how to apply them into their relationships? So, you know, I thought about this um, and there isn't really one book that says, here's how important couples habits are, but there are a few books that really speak to what helps couples do um, really good things that help all of the couple's routines. So for example, there is John Gottman's work. He's a huge leader in the field. Um, he writes a ton of stuff. Um, there, I'm, I'm blanking on the book title here, but give me one second and I can grab it if that's okay. Yeah, 100%. Okay, I'm going great. to um, type these down as well so that oh, I perfect. can link it in the show notes. Okay, cool. Here we go. I needed to get my list out here. Awesome. The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. Mm -hmm. um, there's another one that I think we've kind of talked about without realizing it. It is called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Mm -hmm. That goes through and talks about, you know, all the different ways that we like to give and receive love, which really can help us understand why we're either synchronizing or struggling. And once we understand that, we can learn to... Um, interpret other people's love languages a little bit better and adjust our own to give gifts, you know, not necessarily actual gifts, but give them the kind of love in their language that they want. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Passionate. I feel, sorry. Yeah. No, no, um, please. I, I was going to say that with a uh, gift giving, I feel like the point isn't to give an expensive gift or a generic gift that just any other person would like it's more of just like what your partner themselves would appreciate in their own unique way so it's like it's well obviously if your partner would appreciate something from Sephora get them something from Sephora um, but also it doesn't have to be just something from Sephora it can be something that they've been eyeing for a really long time and they can't bring themselves to spend on for themselves, um, that makes it a lot more meaningful, I feel like, than just like getting a random perfume 
off the shelves of Sephora. Like they would appreciate that too, but it would mean so much more if specifically it's, for example, that thing that they wanted for a really long time that they don't want to get for themselves. Um, yeah, that yeah. shows thoughtfulness. Like I'm listening yeah. to you. I'm looking it's, at you. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of like the thought behind the gift that matters mm-hmm. and not the gift itself. I agree. Um, it's what the gift says, you know, mm-hmm. the meaning. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a, yeah, there's, there's a few more. Um, Passionate Marriage by David Schnarch. That is probably one of the best books for helping couples specifically in regards to intimacy. Um, it helps people understand how to be separate but connected, how to own what they want, um, without feeling threatened by the differences. It's a it's a heavy read, but it's super good. Um, another one is Attached by Amir Levine. And that one is super cool because it helps people understand where they sort of range in terms of how they connect or the tr- challenges that they have for connection. For example, are we anxious? Are we avoidant? Or are we in the, in the nice, secure area, which makes things a little easier? And how are we attracting people or how are we attracted to people and what challenges does that bring us so it really helps people figure out um, how to kind of untangle themselves from their their version of anxiety whether it's anxious or avoidant and what they can do to uh, attract people that they're going to be more compatible with another one is hold me tight by sue johnson that one goes through and talks about Mm -hmm. um, lots of different things that help people figure out you know, where some of their pain points are and some of the dances that they do that don't work out so well in relationships and how they can connect better by eliminating some of those problem dances. Um, and then my my current favorite is Growing Yourself Up by Dr. Jenny Brown. And she talks about Murray Bowen's theory of differentiating, which is that idea of being able to be secure in yourself while experiencing differences from your partner and able to stay connected through them. And it sounds like a simple enough concept, but it is the root of most issues that couples present with. And it takes a lot of work to untangle a lot of times. So she does a really, yeah, she does a really great job of making it user friendly and easy to read. Thank you so much for sharing all of those. I think a lot of the um, titles and names that you mentioned uh, are very big names in the relationships um, area, but I haven't actually heard of Jenny Brown before, so I'm going to have to uh, look it up. Put that one at the top of your list. That one is super yeah. cool. Okay, I've got <laughs> to do that because it's like, yeah, I, I always hear Gary Chapman, Five Love Languages, that's really famous. Um, Sue Johnson's also really famous. Um, I think I've heard John Gothman a few times before, but never Jenny Brown. So the fact that it's your favorites, I've got to check it out. Yeah, Murray Bowen is, I say, the theorist that I do most of my work from. I think it's what makes me the most effective and keeps me very busy with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not it's not well translated in the literature. Like he didn't write any books. And so everyone else who's learned from him has had to write the books. And mm-hmm. I've read a couple of different ones. There's another one um, by Gilbert called The Eight Concepts of Bowen Theory, which is a nice um, framework of his theory. Uh, so if you read them both, it's really, really good. You know, I can, you can't help but learn a lot. There's so much in there. Um, so he is phenomenal, but he just never did any of the writing. Mm-hmm. And so I think the other authors, um, they kind of represent their own work by putting their work out there in the world. So that's amazing. It's a little harder to get to. Yeah, that's actually amazing. It, he sounds like the kind of person that is so busy producing his own 
quality work that he doesn't have time to document it or archive it and other people get so inspired by his work and appreciate his work so much that they archive his work and document his work and that person that kind of person is so rare yeah he was the founder of transgenerational theory Mm -hmm. and as far as i know i think he's deceased like he lived a long time ago Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean the people who have studied from his institute are you know doing a really good job i think of passing along his learnings and teachings and the people who are writing the books doing the same Thank you so much, Kristen, for answering my questions. Now we're moving on to questions from the audience. Our first question is, in the context of busy modern lives, what strategies or advice can you offer to help couples incorporate these daily habits into their routine in order to nurture that romantic connection? I think that's my favorite question that couples ask me all the time. (laughs) I love that question. So I tell people you have to be intentional. So depending on where people are at in their lives, sometimes they have the room in their schedules to be a little less structured, a little more spontaneous. Like if they're just um, if they're just dating or married, but they don't have any kids yet, for example, and maybe they don't plan to have kids either way. um, It's a lot easier to just simply make those conversations happen because we have more availability. And so if people are struggling because they keep themselves really busy but don't have any kids, then they still have to be intentional. So that kind of bleeds into um, what I like to tell busy working parents who, and when I say working, that could either be working out of the house, working in the house, working for someone else, or being, you know, the stay-at-home parent. Mm -hmm. Um, Work is work. And so what I tell busy working parents is make time in your calendars, like carve out time in your calendars to talk about the things that are going well in your relationship and talk about the things that are not going well in your relationship. Give yourself actual scheduled time to do those check-ins or audits, as I call them, so that you can stay on top of talking about things and resolving things, hopefully if they have the skills to resolve them, before they become bigger issues. Mm -hmm. The other thing I tell couples is to set aside specific time. You know, every not every day, but every wherever you can, set aside specific time to connect, that you're not going to let anything else get in the way because we're busy. And it's so easy to just let other things fill in those time blocks. So if we don't do that, then we just end up like ships constantly passing in the night and missing each other. The other thing I tell couples is ask each other, like especially busy working parents, you know, have that conversation after work. What do you want to do with our free time tonight? What do you need for yourself? What do you need for us? Sometimes we just need to veg out in front of TV and relax into our shows. Sometimes we want time by ourselves because we want to read or listen to music or draw or whatever it is that we like doing. Um, Sometimes we want to connect physically and we want to make sure that we don't miss out on the opportunity for both of us to kind of get in the headspace or body space to do that. So it's really about intentionality and follow through and communication, always about communication. And do you think that couple routines and daily habits make or break a relationship? 1000%. So if we are communicating, talking about what we want, making it happen, doing those intentional things to make sure that we get quality time, that we're divvying up the responsibilities in a way that both people feel fair, nobody's totally overburdened doing the audits for when we need to change our routines because something's out of sync, like someone's doing more 
someone's doing less, somebody's job has changed, you know, we need something different because life has changed. Someone's sick, someone's giving away their time to a child who is still nursing or a parent who is ill. Um, You know, we have to be auditing the routines. We have to be intentional about the routines, communicating about them, talking about what's working for us, what's not working for us, what we can do differently to make it work better, and then change it as fast as possible. Like, don't wait, just change it and then see how it goes tomorrow and the next day. And if it's going better, keep what you're doing and do a little bit more of what's working. And if it's not, continue to talk about what's not working and see how you can change it. And then if none of that works, then get some help. Like, it's better to get out in front of it before it becomes a a major issue or results in withdrawal, depression, an affair. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's better to ask for help if you're struggling and just can't get it nailed because there is a lot to learn. Like we said before, there's just so much that we don't know. And a skilled therapist, you know, in in America, uh, a lot of the specialists are the LMFTs, the licensed marriage and family therapists. Um, They can help you untangle this and figure it out really quickly. And have you seen a lot of couples go through this? And do they, how's how's the... um, success rates with talking about the um, out of sync routine and how does it usually end up? It depends on the couple and and the, the factors there are a willingness to learn, like how willing am I to be accessible to my partner? So accessibility basically means that when you come knocking on my door with a bid or a need or a want, am I going to shut the door in your face, avoid it? Or am I going to open it and welcome you in? So if couples are willing to hear each other, to welcome each other in, to understand and not take anything personal, to not say it in a way that the other person would take it personal, then the success rate goes up. Mm -hmm. If they're willing to respond, so the second part is responsiveness. If they're willing to respond to their partner, I hear you, I understand, here's what I understand, am I getting it? Then the success rate goes up. If they're willing to be engaged, like, Here's what I'm hearing you need. Here's what I'm willing to do to help you. What else can I do to help you? And then that kind of goes back and forth mutually. Then the success rate goes up. If we're not willing to hear the other person, we minimize, deny. Sometimes people even make fun of their partner's needs or or kind of laugh them off or get really disparaging or disrespectful. The success rate goes down. <laughs> if we're not getting what our partner's saying, for whatever reason, like we're just missing it, and our partner doesn't say, hey, that was me trying to get your attention and say, hey, I need this, and you missed it, the success rate goes down. That was a really good way of putting it, and I have always given it a lot of thought, but not in a way that you you, you categorized it so well. Um, and that is very clear now. Um, thank you so much for answering the questions. And now we're moving on to the last section um, which is the open mic. And this is your opportunity to talk about anything that you're t- uh, passionate about. And it doesn't have to be related to the topic at all. So the floor is yours. Take it away. Okay. So I think my my projects throughout the year have always really centered about relationships. You know, the desire to be known, the desire to be a better communicator, the desire to have a respectful relationship, whether that's with my partner or nowadays with my own son. So as a parent, uh, my current project is trying to understand 
his personality. Like, who is this person and how does this person learn? How do they express themselves? How do they process anxiety and the big things in the world that little kids have trouble understanding? You know, what's going on in their reactivity, in their needs for connection, in their needs for learning, in their needs for guidance and coaching socially? There's so much going on. And so, like, when I decided to become a parent, um, I had this idea in my mind about, like, what kind of parent I wanted to be. And then I had my son, and and he basically forced me to ask the question, what kind of parent does my child need me to be? <laughs> so it was a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that's uh, that's how it goes. Like, Every kid needs us to be a certain way. And so I've kind of continued my passion project of, you know, understanding people. I love to understand. I love to be able to explain, like, why is this happening? Where is this coming from? So that I can get to the what can I do to make this better question. I think that's the burning question that's always in my heart. Like, what can I do to make this better? And it kind of has, you know, its pros and its cons. You know, I, I tend to be that friend who, who, you know, if someone says they want to try something, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me add four more ideas to how we could make that idea even <laughs> better, even though it's not about that. It's just my brain yeah. goes 100 miles an hour. <laughs> right? It's also like the moment yeah. you get into an idea, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, let's well go big or go home. You know, right? let's go know. all the way. We might as well, since we're doing it, we might yep. as well do everything else. Right. Uh, I hear you. It it is a great way to overschedule myself, um, but I'm okay with it. Like I I do a lot in my life. And at the end of it all, I figure I'll take my nap when I take my dirt nap, you know, so. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like your son is very fortunate to have you as a mother. Uh, Yeah. Thank you. He's pretty you cool. Know, yeah. I'm pretty, the, I'm pretty fortunate to have him as yeah, a son. He's yeah. pretty awesome. And the way you describe parenting is very much like, you know, no one told you life was going to be this way. You know, you life thought it was hard to, yeah. as a parent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say like the easiest part of my day is going to work. So I appreciate work. I'm glad I didn't uh, choose to become a stay-at-home parent because I think mm-hmm. work balances me and, and mm-hmm. reminds me really of all the principles that mm-hmm. work. In relationships yeah. it relaxes so that, you yeah. and you've been mm-hmm. in this long enough to where it's kind of like an unconscious um what's the word unconscious competence that's that's the that's the term yeah totally. so now works relaxing and that's really nice yeah it it helps it's kind of it's a daily reminder of my list of principles that i want to live by which is the map of how i want to behave how I want to talk, how I want to think through things, how I want to solve problems. Um, and kind of circling back to Jenny Brown's book, she does a great job of um, showing people how to write all those down and identify them, which is something that I've kind of done in the process of becoming and then being a therapist all my life. But I love how she shows people how to write them down. And so uh, that cleans up so much. Like it guides us every day. And it answers the question, who do I want to be before we actually behave? Not easier said than done. And parenting triggers you like instantaneously. So <laughs> it is a constant work in progress and usually a debrief after the fact, like, okay, I don't want to do that better mm-hmm. next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us today. Um, if our listeners want to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? They can go to my website at www.kristenqualscounseling.com. 
That's www.kristenquellscounseling.com. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. You've been listening to Veloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Live Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at re.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Marie Stella. Thanks for tuning in.